I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Work Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. Welcome back to Work Stories, y'all. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night. I don't know what time you all are listening to this, but I hope whatever time it is, it's good and it just got better. Because today we're talking with Dr. Yan Na, an organizational psychologist with a focus in leadership development who has specific research in Asian women in leadership. So, yeah, we're going to talk about all that today. Let's go. Hello, Yan. Hi, Joy. Nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you, too. It's so funny doing these podcasts and everyone I'm meeting is like virtually. Who knows mm-hmm. when I'll see them in person. <laughs> Maybe one day when this is all over. <laughs> I know. Well, briefly introduce yourself to our audience and tell us all the things. Sure. <laughs> uh, so thank you for having me. And mm-hmm. my name is Yan Na. I am an organizational psychologist and I work with organizations to help drive performance, engagement, create inclusive environments. But I do it in a way where I'm applying organizational psychology principles. So it's not just, there we go, let's just try something. It's really rooted in psychology because when you think about organizations, it's made up of people, it's made up of teams, individuals, and everyone brings their perspectives, lived experiences, and all the psychoses (laughs) along with it, right? Right. So um, I love the work that I do, and I can get into how I got here in a bit, but that's what I do. Okay, nice. Yeah, I think the organizational psych like lens is so important, and I'm not sure if people every day are thinking about that aspect. Like, how do we best approach people when they're already in these environments based off of what we already know that they do, right? How do you already right. behave? So I think it's hard for people to figure out how to create change in their organizations and companies if they haven't already had a proper uh, assessment of historically what have they been doing and why. So mm-hmm. exactly. Um, I, I love, oh my God, I have so many questions for you. I really had to cut it down because I went a little crazy first first draft. Um, I was like, okay, we're not going to have a two-hour interview, Joy. Relax. <laughs> so let's get into it. So start off by, like, just tell us what, what field did you start in and tell us a little bit about your own workplace experiences. 
Yes, absolutely. So, you know, I always start off with the fact that I identify as a Korean immigrant woman. My family came to the U.S. in the late 1970s, if you can believe it. Mm -hmm. And I was a child back then. Um, And, you know, at the time, as immigrants, it's important to establish a sense of financial security. So Mm -hmm. my parents instilled in me the idea of getting a stable job, you know, so that I can create a life for myself where I didn't have to struggle. Uh, So with that said, there was a sense of duty and honor toward my parents um, in that, you know, they sacrificed their lives in Korea to come to the States. So I have to take on the American dream in some way. (laughs) So with that said, what I ended up doing was working in many corporate settings early on, starting from my 20s, where it was all about making money. And in fact, I was in advertising sales doing really well, making tons of money, but there was something missing um, in that, you know, it was like the more money I made, the more I realized, you know, this is not the way I want to contribute to organizations, you know, not through the bottom line. I actually want to help eliminate some of the dysfunction that is inherent in organizations because of what we just talked about at the beginning, right? So I did an entire career shift where, and this was really idealistic at the time because I was like, I'm going to give up my career in advertising sales, give up the money and start from ground zero and begin this work toward focusing on leadership development and organization effectiveness. And what I wanted to do was help to cultivate the potential of individuals and organizations. Mm-hmm. And I also have a passion for advancing Asian women in the workplace. So my research area as part of my doctoral work, as well as um, current work now, it's around identity and leadership style and potential. So all of these kind of um, different facets of my life came together so that I could craft a career that's more aligned with who I am and the type of future I want to have for myself. And, you know, ultimately do good for organizations, you know, in my own small way. You know, I'm not going to change the world. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm yeah. just not. <laughs> but I can make small incremental changes, positive changes in organizations through my work. Yeah. And that will contribute in changing the world, right? <laughs> More people who do that. I, I love that story. And I feel like a lot of our audience probably can identify with that. Being first generation U.S. and feeling that pressure to do something that's safe. So I definitely commend you for saying, no, 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 I got to do something else. I have to do what I'm being called to do. And, you know, having to face your parents (laughs) when (laughs) you announce that you are making that career change. (laughs) Yes, yes. And, you know, telling them at the time, like, I'm going to give up another great job (laughs) to pursue something else. And they didn't quite understand it. But I think over time, what they saw in me was the more chances that I took, the more, you know, I, I don't, I don't, it's like success is defined in so many different ways, but I felt like I was successful in that I was always expanding my perspective and also experimenting with my professional and personal life. And that to me is success because, you know, you're always evolving as a human being. And that's um, for my parents anyway that's the piece that I think they understood, you know, like every time I made a shift, a dramatic shift, they saw the growth that happened in me. So they were supportive um, on my career journey. Wow. Yeah. And I really want to 
talk. So I want to talk to you about two kind of different sides. I want to talk about Asian women in leadership for sure. And I want to talk about the psychological approach to these corporations and organizations. So kind of be like two halves of this. I know a lot of people might be thinking because there are a lot of misnomers out there, like, why do we need to talk about Asian women in leadership? Why do we need to talk about Asian women at work? Look at what the stats Mm -hmm. say, blah, blah, blah. Well, we know Mm -hmm. that the stats are not correct (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. and, and very skewed and do not show the whole picture. Asian culture is so vast, right? So many Mm -hmm. different experiences, countries, you know, skin tones, even that plays a part um, in how you're perceived. So uh, tell, tell us why we need to be having this conversation. Yeah. And I love that you asked that question and that you reached out to me because it is an important conversation because the, ultimately the perception of, you know, you think about Asia or people from Asia as just like this big monolith, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, th- but that's not true, right? There's so many different, uh, there are diversity, there's a diversity amongst the Asian population. And every group, and there's, you know, so many groups within the Asian population that experience life and also leadership differently. So, um, when you think about the entire, you know, like people of Asian descent, you know, there's this model minority myth and, you know, like Mm -hmm. we've heard about this, the, the myth that Asians are, you know, educated and that we keep our heads down and that we're good workers. All of these stereotypes are not true. Number one, because again, the Asian culture is very diverse and, you know, there are different ways that people approach work depending on their cultural upbringing and their, how their family raised them. But Mm -hmm. the other piece too, is that, you know, it goes against what a leader's supposed to look like. So this, you know, breaking this, like this idea that the model minority exists, that's a key piece to making sure that racism and sexism for women of Asian descent at work, that we start to dismantle that. The sexism piece, and and I know you um, didn't specifically ask about this, but I think it's an important piece to talk about because the perception that an Asian woman is a worker bee, that's the other piece. So yes, there are many Asian women, maybe at the mid-manager level or at the individual contributor level, but once you get past that level, because the perception is that we're worker bees, you know, we put our heads down and we get the work done and we produce whatever results, that's uh, going to be prohibitive in terms of getting to that next layer, whether it's director, VP, SVP, and above. The, um, you know, the other factor in addition to the model minority myth is that there's obviously the glass ceiling for women um, and then the labyrinth for women, meaning as you're traversing in your career, it's not just, you know, think about what a labyrinth looks like, right? There's so many, um, on, you know, there's these dead ends. There are these like, oh yeah, there's maybe a path to go a little bit farther, but then there's a dead end, another dead end. And that, uh, concept applies to women because we have different barriers that we come up against, whether you're having to be a caretaker whether you know you're having to stop your career trajectory because maybe you're having to take care of other people in your lives, maybe you get married, whatever the case may be, there are different factors in a woman's life and a woman's journey that may um, act as barriers toward advancement. So it's multi-layered yeah. uh, for Asian women, and the more we understand as organizations, as a society, that 
it is multi-layered. Every person's experience is going to be different, but there's something in the system, the organizational system that's preventing the ascent of Asian women. You know, part of that's the leader prototype and what a leader is supposed to look like. You know, you think about in your own mind, like if you even think about the word leader, like what comes to mind for you? And that doesn't align with what a woman of Asian descent might look like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wow. There's (laughs) so much from that. So, okay. First off, I think let's give people an idea of what does racism and sexism look like at work? for Asian women? Like, can you give us some examples of how it might show up? Yeah, I mean, going back to the the stereotype that we're worker bees, you know, it's like, sure, let's hire the, um, hi- let's hire this Asian candidate. And I'm not saying that this actually happened in my life or, but, you know, the perception may be that um, as a hiring manager, if you have that stereotype in your head, we're getting a good worker. Mm-hmm. Uh, the person gets hired and they, you know, do really well. The, the person gets their, you know, keeps their head down. They do really well. But then the, that, again, that prototype of what a leader is supposed to look like doesn't align with that worker bee image, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So then during succession planning discussions, during promotion discussions, the, the, woman who was hired in to be the worker bee doesn't ever get into the conversation, um, you know, at the, in terms of, you know, thinking about promotion or advancement, because mm-hmm. this person is a good worker. They're good at what they do. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to lead because they're so good at what they do. Can they influence others? Can they be assertive? Can they be um, influential and bring the their teams along. Yes, yes, yes. All of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, because I have interviewed Asian women who are in high level roles and have been able to do all of these things. But it, that's the big gap is, you know, how we're brought into organizations and what the perception might be that it's actually the, you know, hiring for what that current role is instead of hiring for potential and, and in particular leadership potential. That's a big gap. Yeah, right. And then once, you know, those expectations have been set, whatever they are, and they're not met, then I would imagine the same thing, things happen that would happen to Latinas or Black women or Indigenous exactly. women, right? Like mm-hmm. the same attack goes on, the same setup goes on, um, comments, ugh, all of it. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It just might just, um, look a little differently as it starts than absolutely. are used to. Yeah. Absolutely. And then there's the this idea of like, benevolent sexism where um you know it's uh, so as a male executive or as a leader you might want to just take care of the woman of asian descent or you know a, a, a person of color um or woman of color because you feel like okay i'm just going to take care of them make sure that they're okay mm-hmm. but not give them sort of the opportunity to, opportunity to take risks in their career Uh, or take on those bigger stretch assignments. So it's like this odd thing where you think you're doing the right thing as a male leader, but you're actually not. It's sexist. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such an important piece to a conversation that I'm going to have. It's going to be an episode one day about how we all as women of color need to work together in the workspace. And when you see that people are being treated differently from you, I think there's this automatic like competition that clicks in or like, 
well, you don't have the same problems I do, not even realizing that things just look differently. So, oh, if someone thinks, well, she's being coddled, look, she's being taken care of, that might look like Mm -hmm. a total benefit to a woman who feels like they're getting, you know, too many things thrown at them, right? But not realizing, Mm -hmm. underlining what's happening they're not able to advance as quickly. They're not, you know, like you said, being challenged. So it's important mm-hmm. that we understand the different ways that this shows up at work so that we can yep. like put all of that ego aside and just know mm-hmm. that it's all happening to all of us. Uh, <laughs> we just, it's we so to come together with it. true. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. all happening. It's, we're experiencing it differently, the barriers yeah. differently, but it's happening. So yeah. why not Damn come it. together as a community? Yeah, Yeah, and and support one another just as much just as much I think you know having the perception of like no this would hurt me more than that would hurt you is Mm -hmm. something we just have to we have to be done with that okay like I guess so much of like trying to compare any trauma is trauma and we don't play the um, oppression olympics (laughs) 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 amongst our you know women of color we shouldn't be doing that and that only divides us and it stops the conversation to only Asian women talking, to only Black women talking, to only Latinas talking. And we can't come together and actually create change (laughs) if we're just siloed off in our corners. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you a thousand percent. Yeah. So we there. So there's some statistics that show that particularly like Indian women, Chinese women, you know, there's a list of like Asian women who perform, not perform, but um, are given more opportunity at work and have those mm-hmm. high stats that lead to a that lead to a lot of this dismissal that I'm talking about. So, but then if you dig deeper in the research, you see, okay, women might have leadership positions, but that doesn't actually like transfer into them having executive roles and being right. Fortune 500 leaders and having those big jobs that I think everyone expects these leadership roles to turn into, but they stop. Yes. Why is yes. that? Yes. <laughs> um, you know, so, uh, you know, so much. So I, I always feel like when we have the conversation about, or I feel like when we have conversations about advancing into leadership as a woman of color, it sometimes points the finger on uh, toward um, the woman. Like it's up to us. Like we have to do it. We have to change. We have to do these things. Right. Right. But no, the organization <laughs> has a part in it, a huge part. And mentorship is a is a m- big missing gap for women of color. Mentorship is the piece that's going to help you get from that kind of, you know, as we were talking about, like the mid-level to higher levels. You know, it's, it's part of this is like uh, for mentors who are, say, um, mentors who are white, uh, needing to mentor those who are not white, there's a disconnect in that it's not it's not necessarily about the you know racism or that they don't want to. What the research says is that there's a comfortable you know there's a lack of comfort. That's why uh, white men may not mentor women of color. Mm-hmm. So getting over that barrier is one piece. So mentorship of young professionals, mid-level, so that they could advance into the higher echelons of corporate settings, that's one piece. And then looking at the organizational processes that I mentioned briefly around succession planning, promotion, who are you, you know, who are you advancing in your organization and why? I think, you know, we talk about executive presence, we talk about, you know, someone who's able to influence others, but what does that look like 
from a very specific um, skill standpoint? Or is it just based on uh, impressions of others, the impression that someone has executive presence? And what does that mean? And breaking that down to make sure that you're not promoting the same types. That's mm -hmm. one piece. Because yeah. there's always bias that plays into, you know, how we're looking at situations and people, right? So eliminating that or minimizing that bias and yeah. then creating a structure where you look at data um, and looking at promotion data of historically underrepresented groups in organizations. Um, who are those groups and why? So it's digging into the data that you currently have as an organization and then creating mechanisms based on what's going to support the advancement of people of color, Asian women, you know, Latina, mm -hmm. uh, and, and everyone else. <laughs> yeah, all of us, all of us. <laughs> all of us, all of us. Okay. Um, do you, this may, this got me thinking when we were just saying, um, talking about this, do you think there is a benefit to having a mentor who is white or male? Um, or is it better to have a mentor who identifies more with you? Have both. You know, both. <laughs> you can have more than one. The answer is both. <laughs> the answer is both because ultimately, yes, you want to, and part of the mentorship piece is around chemistry, right? So you want to have the right chemistry. The role of a mentor is to instill in you wisdom that they have, right? So mm -hmm. it's it's there, like you're getting a boot camp of their experience that could that you could maybe take and apply to your own life. So mm -hmm. someone who resonates with you because they have a similar background, that's inspiring. Yeah. Someone who doesn't have a similar background, you're going to get an insider look at what it look it sounds like, what <laughs> it looks like to be a white male executive, right? Right. So that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> so I on the say wall. Both and more. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's that's great advice. I never thought about having more than one mentor at all, ever, let alone from different groups, you know, to, to yeah. benefit from the privilege of another group, but yeah. also be inspired by somebody from my own group. So that's great. Absolutely. So DEI, like yeah, everywhere. It's like there's commercials <laughs> about Cheerios that I swear say DEI <laughs> everywhere. It's all people are talking about, especially from the protests last summer. All of a sudden, everyone wants to be woke and they want to create um, programs in their organizations and companies that um, are supporting diversity and inclusion and they say equality, but we know it's equity. You need equity. Yeah. So what is, tell us a little bit about the psychology behind all these people making these plans. It feels like they're overnight. A lot of people are commenting about them being rushed, but also don't we want people to move quickly? Can mm -hmm. you make a weighty plan quickly? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and such a great question. And I love this topic because ever since last year, that's what we saw. It's like, oh, how many DEI roles are there going to be on LinkedIn? Mm -hmm. Right. Like <laughs> there were so many openings, right? <laughs> um, and you know, when you think about so when you think about individuals, we're always living under a sense of like threat, some sort of threat. I mean, we're just like that's how we're wired, you know. Mm -hmm. So when you think about individuals in the organization and the psychology behind organizations making these DI plans just seemingly overnight, part of that is fear, you know, fear of retribution, mm -hmm. fear of bad publicity. And, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's gone wrong. Like, it's mm -hmm. like, yes, sure, you're going to put out a DI statement, but look at your own executive suite. 
Yeah. You're very diverse. Look at your product, so, you, know, <laughs> you know, with the Look slave, with slave on the cover, you know. Oh like, my gosh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So many yeah. things were not thought about when a lot of these statements it were wasn't. released. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Yeah, it was just like, let's just jump on, you know, whatever this train is, because everyone else, every other company is doing it, and we better do it. And that's the problem with social media is that there's just this, there's a pro- the, the problem and that it's also good at the same time, there's like this urgency, you know, like this need to like do something and react quickly. Mm-hmm. But with a plan around DEI, it's not just you can't just turn on a switch and everything's going to work. It has to be a long term process. And ultimately, what each organization needs to do is first identify what the problem is internally, you know, is it about representation? So I think about that in terms of diversity. Mm-hmm. Is it about building a level playing field for historically underrepresented groups to advance? And that, mm-hmm. in my mind, is about equity. Or is it about creating an inclusive environment where, where people feel a sense of belonging? What is it that you're trying to identify as a problem and then solve, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that takes time. That takes, again, looking at data, looking, you know, trying to understand what employees want in terms of DEI. Like start there and then uh, start to build a strategy that's going to incorporate, incorporate whatever DEI work into transforming the organization culture. It's like culture and DEI work. It's not separate. It has to work in conjunction with one another. So I always think about DEI work as not as a, a project or initiative. It's actually a transformation because you're changing behaviors. You're changing, you're trying to change, I mean, people, you can't change people's personalities, but you can help people change their behaviors, right? (laughs) So that's the thing. You have to look at what it is that you're trying to solve for and then come up with a a longer term strategy. Right. Instead of just, oh, here's what we're going to do now. Yeah, the quick fixes that people put into place that are clearly only meant to quiet people for six months, maybe a year. Um, We need to be able to see through those um, when we're supporting a brand or, you know, looking for a job and looking into the company's details. Like those are things we need to be able to distinguish between uh, long term Uh, plans and little Mm -hmm. (laughs) band-aids yeah (laughs) so true little band-aids that are just gonna peel off and then you're gonna lose them (laughs) yeah we want to be supporting companies and organizations that actually care and we only want to work for those places can you give us some like tips and tricks for how we can tell if like DEI work is authentic or what things Um, can help us see through these statements and these affinity groups and all of that Mm-hmm. Well, that's, I mean, there's so much information about companies now, just in general, you know, with the reports that they put out in terms of their diversity, equity, inclusion work, um, the statements that they put on their sites, you know, they have videos there. So there's a wealth of information, not mm-hmm. including Glassdoor reviews, right? You can right. always go check Glassdoor reviews. Sometimes, you know, it's like the head of HR who <laughs> is like writing a review about their own company, which I'm not really sure if that's right, but right. Uh, um, okay. you know, <laughs> there are many different there are many different components as far as um, gathering insights into a company. But ultimately, what it comes down to is when you start having conversations with people, whether it's through like the formal channel of interviewing or you just have an informal interview. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
it's really like, you know, we have good BS meters. Yeah. So we'll, we'll be able to know. And like, you know, people just know when something is real or something is fake, you may not be able to put your finger on it at the moment. Mm-hmm. But if you spend the time reflecting on what was discussed, you'll be able to go, okay, no, that was BS. Yeah. <laughs> just, they were just trying to appease me at, at in that moment. So that piece is important, you know, tuning into what your intuition is saying and also reflecting on the conversation. Um, But I recommend doing, you know, if you're not doing a a formal interview, do informal interviews and connect with people through LinkedIn just to say, hey, you know, I'd love to know more about your company and what you do. People are so willing and open to connect via LinkedIn um, if you're just genuinely interested in the person and their career story. So Mm. I would recommend that because you're going to get that real perspective, whereas, you know, all the shiny things on the website may not give you the full perspective. Right. <laughs> Excellently curated, right, to sell. Yeah. Um, this is the point. Like, I mean, that's what they're supposed to be doing. If I was yeah. advising someone, I'd say the same thing. Um, but also, yeah. I love that point about trusting your intuition. That's where our superpowers as women come in. Like, we yeah. have intuition. <laughs> so and we can't, like you said, we can't always pinpoint like, oh, this might be a place where I would be discriminated against or mistreated. Like, you can't always make it that exact, but it might be something about the offer or just the interview. Something just doesn't sit right with you. Yes. Explore it. Yep. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. I I love that. And I want people to be able to be more savvy when making um, decisions about their employment. Yeah. I'm there's, I posted on Instagram um, a while ago about, you know, not beating yourself up for making a decision to Mm -hmm. be employed somewhere and they ended up hurting you and to Mm -hmm. try to like kind of forgive yourself for that. But also part of forgiving yourself from that is then making a better decision next time, right? Absolutely. It's data that you can use in the future for yourself. Experience of our data. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Like that. Uh, thank you so much. Not enough time. We're definitely going to have to have you back for <laughs> my other million questions. It was a pleasure. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. Take care. Wow. What a packed episode, right? Thank you so much to Dr. Na for advising us on the best way to tell if these companies are really down with the DEI movement, y'all. And for sharing how racism and sexism show up for our sisters of Asian descent. Let's do a better job of supporting and protecting each other at work and less time judging, okay? If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Na, you can head to yawnconsults.com. Thanks so much, y'all. Have a great week. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 